the uh, text for today is going to be Matthew chapter 3, and it's going to be on John the Baptist. That might seem like an odd place during the Christmas season. Let's go look at John the Baptist. But there's a rhyme and a reason to this that fits in our overall theme for this season. And it's, it really kind of begins in Luke chapter 1, which is where we typically would go this time of year. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we read, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Let me just say something. How cool would it be if you're living the kind of life that the Holy Spirit says, Hey, Luke, write this down. These two people are righteous before God. These are people we can learn something from. You know what I'm saying? Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, they don't bother to tell us how advanced, but I'm going to assume advanced means what you think it does. Okay? Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I think that makes total sense, don't you? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We talked the last couple of weeks about getting ready, about being prepared for the coming of the Lord. And we started off with watching. that We're going to watch for the coming of the Lord. And, you know, this, the Christmas season, sometimes people use the word Advent. If you, if you grew up in churches like I did, you hear the word Advent, mm, I don't know about that, you know, because we just have a different vocabulary. All the word means, sometimes if you learn the meaning of a word, all the weirdness goes away from it. You know what I mean? All the word Advent means is coming. That's it. That this is a season celebrating the coming of Christ. But Christ has had more than one coming. He came in the flesh, in the incarnation. That's kind of the focal point of, of the season. That's the focal point of Christmas is that God came in the flesh, in this human baby form, in a manger, in a small little hick town, right? And that's the whole focus, that God came in, in this incredibly obscure way and yet announced by angels, witnessed by the people who came, the shepherds later on were Church of Christ, so we know it was like nearly two years later, right? But later on, you've got to say it or somebody's going to talk to me out in the foyer. A couple of years later, uh, they, they, the wise men showed up uh, at, at their house, actually, in Nazareth. So I saw a thing where a preacher the other day was like, here's how to biblically arrange your little manger scene. He's like, and two years later, you bring out the wise men. That's too picky for me. Okay. But true, but picky. Uh, 
But all of these things were, were incredible in both their glory and in their humility. But even before that happened, even before, we have John, who is a relative, earthly speaking, a relative of Jesus because their mothers were related. Mary and Elizabeth were related. And he comes in a way that is itself miraculous. I mean, this is like Abraham and Sarah kind of stuff here where God just speaks into her, yes, you will be able to have a child even though medically it is impossible. But remember, with man it is impossible. With God all things are possible. So John comes along. And we don't have really anything about any interactions between John and Jesus until Jesus' baptism. There's really nothing there. And we're not looking at that today. We're looking at what happens right before that. But there's really not anything that we have other than actually from within the womb. After, later on here in Luke, after uh, Mary is with child, I guess is the way we'll put that, when she is in Bonham, you had to be very, very old school about saying the word pregnant. You couldn't say pregnant. Pregnant was somehow, you didn't say that in public. They were way too, you know, out here we're southwestern. You start driving that direction, they become southern. There is a difference. There's a cultural difference. And they were a little too she-she-fru-fru to say the word pregnant. And so they'd say, she's peachy. Like parental guidance? I mean, I'm from West Texas. That's all that means to me. PG, what does that even mean? They were like, no, she's PG. Seriously, it took me like a week to figure out what they were talking about. Anyway, so Mary was PG. And... Uh, the moment where Mary comes to visit Elizabeth and John the Baptist in the womb leaps for joy because he knows this is crazy. But in the womb, he indicated his understanding that he was in the presence of the Lord. Is that a little bit crazy? If you're a mama who's ever had a baby kick, just think about one on a trampoline going, Woo-hoo, Jesus is coming! And that's what you understand about Mary's experience. That's what happened. So I say all that to say, John never was a, a normal kid, ever. Everything in his experience was, and, and about his coming, his own coming, was itself clearly from God. His birth was itself a miracle that she was even pregnant in the first place. What his mission would be was a godly mission, and he knew it from the, before his birth. His father knew, and that came through a vision of an angel before the altar of the Lord. All this surrounds John's beginning. And so when John goes out and starts teaching in the desert, you know, there's already kind of this, this tension building and, a, and a, a suspense building about who John is and what in the world is going on with this guy. And, and you know, they told us that he would be kind of a precursor before the Messiah, but dude's like 30 years old. When's this going to happen? Come on, you know, kind of waiting. And that's us. We talked about that last week, our waiting and our anticipating and, and trying to be patient as the coming of the Lord comes. Well, this is the, kind of the same place that they were in. Now turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read this together. <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now Matthew is the one telling us that. That when John went out into the desert, like they understood, they got it. That somehow John the Baptist was making the way straight 
for the Messiah. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Okay, this is not like nice camel hair suit coat. This is like camel hair. You see what I'm saying? And how many of you are just waiting for a camel hair sweater for your crazy sweater Christmas party? Am I right? Not many. And so this is what he's got, and he just looks kind of, he looks like a Robertson, doesn't he? Doesn't this guy look kind of like, he's like a biblical Jace Robertson, I think is what we got going on here. He's one of those, he's uh, the locust commander, I think might be what he is. The, but he's out there, and, and they understand something's going on with the message he has. And there might be a question about, it. well, I don't know, if all this guy is going out there and saying, repent for the kingdom of the Lord is at hand. We kind of ignore those people on the street, don't we? If they're at a street corner with a cardboard thing and it says repent or perish, what do you do? Speed up. Be honest. You don't speed up. You're lying to me now. You probably speed up. If you're traveling and you're in one of these big cities where you have street preachers like that who are sitting there doing that, a lot of times you, you cross the other side of the street. A lot of people do, Christians included. Go, mm, I'm not sure that's the best approach for all of this. And so you might read about John the Baptist and go, man, I'm not sure why they would all have gone out there. But they did. Verse 7. Well, let me go back up to verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? That's always a good welcome, isn't it? You go into church down by the river. You're all in your Sunday best because a Pharisee would never be in anything less than his Sunday best, right? Whatever that means. It's not a biblical idea, is it? This is what they would have done. So here they are, and they're coming out, and he confronts them. I don't know but what. That wasn't what drew some of the people out to John the Baptist. Oh, man, you've got to come see this guy. He is giving it to them. These people who think they're all high and mighty, he is bringing it. You know what he said last week? He called that guy an old snake. Isn't that cool? And so some of the people, I've got to go see this. You know, people coming from all over the place for whatever reason, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, and all over the place, they're coming out to see him. And maybe some of them were coming because there's a little bit of a sideshow atmosphere. Maybe. That's, that's human. When we lived in Troy, New York, right across the river was the airport. Right next to the airport was what is left, a museum now, of the, the very first Shaker settlement. And people from Albany, New York, the capital, used to ride their carriages and buggies out to watch the worship services of the Shakers because, you know, they got their name because they shook a lot. And they danced and they sh- shook and shaked. They shook and shaked and they were shaken. They, 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 they had a pretty jiving and rolling worship service. And they had benches around for people from the town to come out and just kind of watch. And uh, in some ways, that sounds, you know, Wow, they were getting people to come and, and to their worship. In other ways, some of those people only came because it was a spectacle. Maybe there were some of those people. You had some skeptics like the Sadducees and the Pharisees who really just came to see how they could condemn, just like they did with Jesus later on. What can we find wrong in what he's saying so that we can point it out? So you had some of that. But there's another group of people, a bigger group of people than both of those that uh, Matthew talks about. It says people were coming from all over the countryside to come out and be baptized by John. It says, let me keep going on what he says in the Pharisees. 
Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John has this message that is really, he, at, at part of this, he's focused on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, telling them of the judgment to come. But in that crowd are people who have come whose own hearts are open, whose eyes are open, whose ears are open, and they hear what he's saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and what do they think? If you're standing there, and you hear him, maybe you went out to, sit, to, to watch that happen. Maybe you're one of those people who said, you know, I, I hear he's really giving it to him. I want to go see that happen they're just so high and mighty. And you get there and he lays into the Pharisees and Sadducees. I wonder how many of those people were standing there who went to watch them get it, who stood there and went, if what he says to them is true about them, is that true about me? When the Messiah comes and he brings his winnowing fork and he separates the wheat from the chaff, I wonder which one I'm going to be. I wonder how, how the Messiah is going to see me. Am I wheat? Am I chaff? Am I righteous? Am I unrighteous? Am I saved? Am I lost? How is Jesus going to see me? And so those questions went through their minds and through their hearts. And as they chewed on them, it says many came out and ended up being baptized because he was telling everybody, not just the Pharisees and Sadducees, Everybody, it's time for you to turn. You remember back in Luke that that term was used twice? He will turn their hearts back to the Lord. He will turn people back to the kingdom. And that was going to be his job, is to turn people. That was the moment they were brought to. And when they turned, they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and in repentance. One of the questions that I had reading through this text is what kind of people go out and are drawn to that? And that's why we talked about you know, these groups of people. Because I think in a lot of ways we, we start to, to think that you know, people don't really want to hear kind of those hard truths. They don't want to hear you need to turn your life around. They don't want to hear you need to repent. That word you know, comes loaded like a 12-gauge, just... We're kind of afraid of it. It makes us a little nervous. Somebody says repent, and you hear, you know, oh, here it comes. Uh-oh. You know, but this is what they were actually drawn to. What I have to believe, because I remember my day back in 1980-something, rather, in a dark night, not a dark night of the soul, but... A dark night in Ackerley, Texas. That might be a dark night of the soul. When that all got a hold of me and I was baptized into Christ. There is a moment when you come to realize that those things are real, that the coming of Christ is real. 
And one of the things we talked about last week is he proves that his coming, which we still long for, which we started with back in 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the ways he reminds us that that is real is through our celebration of Christmas. Because that reminds us that he's already done it. And what he's already done, he can do again. He's already been here. He knows how to get here. You may get lost on the way to your aunt's house, but he's not going to get lost on the way to yours. And so then the question starts to come, well, am I ready? This was John's mission, to come and to tell people, well, if you're not, let me tell you how. And that actually drew people. We should not be afraid. and We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, it is the power of God for salvation. People aren't afraid of repentance. They might be afraid of sometimes how we might say it. That's different. We've got to watch our delivery, right? But people are not afraid because in truth, the people who went out to John, every last one of them knew there were things in their life that needed to change. Every last one of them. Every Pharisee knew what it was that John was pointing at when he told them that they were hypocrites. Nobody, no Pharisee went, really? Me? I ain't done anything wrong. They all knew. We all know those things that hold us back. It was the same for them. I kind of want to look at these people again. I'm doing the Greek thing where you just keep circling back. That's what you do in the Bible, so that's what we're doing today. You had people who were curious, they, you know, and, and just want to know what, what's going on with this guy. You hear all these kinds of things. So they would go out and they would hear. You had, I think, probably even more people who were broken. And I say that because you look at some of the people that we end up knowing later on, people who had come and were listening to John the Baptist. You had people like Peter. You had like James and John and others who became disciples of Jesus because they had first been disciples of John. They had been hearing what he had to say and were listening to what he had to say, and they themselves had responded to his teaching. And so when John said, and now here is the Messiah, they trusted what John said and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they would come to understand later, the Son of God. So they were getting all of this as they were out there. So you had those who were broken, people who who knew that if they were ever going to be in the presence of God when the Messiah came, something had to change in their life. They were carrying around guilt. They were carrying around sin. Maybe they're carrying around not the, the brokenness of their own sin. Maybe it was the brokenness of what people had done to them. People who had been used and abused tend to think a lot of times that they are somehow unworthy of good and of blessing. I cannot tell you the number of times where I've had conversations with people who are struggling within their marriage and it's not because of abuse within their marriage, it was abuse when they were kids. Maybe physical, maybe sexual, whatever, verbal abuse that makes them feel unworthy of the love the spouse is trying to give them. I've seen it actually destroy marriages because they just never could feel worthy. Those people came out to John because they had something they knew they needed to lay before the Lord and let go of. 
That's all repentance really is. Here's what is broken in me. Here's what's not right in me. Some of it I did. Some of it others did. But God, I am giving this over to you and you get to just wash it away. And John had the same message for him. The same thing. You can be set free from this. But there's one thing that John kept saying over and over again, maybe not in so many words, but there was a core message to everything he said. But the first thing you've got to do is be honest with yourself. Who are you? Where have you been? And what of that needs to be let go of? Everybody that went out there knew what that was. Not everybody did it. Pharisees and the Sadducees, he looked them in the eye and said, you know what, I know and you know what your problem is. Till you let it go, you're lying to me, you're lying to God, you're lying to the Holy Spirit, and you're lying to yourself. Just a brood of vipers. More intent on hurting other people than doing right. And he just let them, let them have that. But to the broken, he said, come into the water, let go of it. Because now is your chance to turn back to God, to turn back to His kingdom, and to anticipate His Messiah who will be here soon. Let's get ready. He said the same to those who were humbled, who came out and said, Man, I know, I know. You really think God will take me back? And He said, Yes. To the humiliated, to those who sought freedom. I kind of wonder if this isn't kind of where some of the, the people who had become the apostles might have come in people who sought, sought freedom from kind of this oppressive religiosity and legalism that they were going through, who wanted to be right with God, who wanted to serve God, who wanted to do things for the kingdom of God, but didn't quite know how to get there because they were so constrained by the atmosphere at the time. They came. I kind of think that's Peter, James, and John, to be honest. Because look at their life. They wanted a challenge. And this is sometimes where we're still, uh, Christianity gets the same problem sometimes that Judaism got then. We don't help people to see that Christianity is actually all about challenge. It's not about going into the synagogue or the church and sitting and, 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 and that's it. This is simply the debriefing before you go out into your challenges. That's all it is. Every policeman in the morning has has a meeting where they have to come, come all together and here are the things we need to deal with today. That's what church is on a Sunday. Here's where the kingdom is going to work this week. Now, here's the, how you can get the energy to go do it. Now, get out there and be Jesus to folks. That's one of the things that John helped them to see. It's what they would come to learn as they spent time, Peter, James, and John, and others, would spend time with Jesus. That the kingdom was never about all of those pharisaical rules. It was never about all of that crazy being bound down and boredom and deep ruts we talked about a few weeks ago. It was a challenge. And let me tell you, if you are bored with your life, it's because Jesus does not yet have your life. Say it again, and it's truth. If you are completely bored with your life, it's because Jesus doesn't yet completely have your life. Because Jesus doesn't do anything boring. Now, some of the things that Jesus might have you do, you might say, but I don't like that. Well, uh, listen, every good work has its toilets to scrub. You know what I'm saying? But you can't follow Jesus and stay bored. If you're bored, if you're sitting there looking at your life and going, man, I really wish there was, you know, I wish I had a passion. I wish I had a dream. I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had. 
find Jesus and He will pour it into you. Launch out and do in His name. Because that's what He's looking for you to do. It's not all words. It's not all talk. It's not all listening. It's not all studying. It's not all uh, activities and programs. There are people He has that are His challenge for you to reach. That was true for John, wasn't it? Before his birth, he said, I have something I want John to do. And what you see in John is somebody who said, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's all he's waiting for from you. Yes, Lord. People flocked out and said yes. And it's because of that last line. The bottom line is that they believed. They were crazy that way, weren't they? I mean, you go out and you hear this guy who's dressed in, in camel hair. And look at his diet. If you think my, my low-carb, high-fat thing is crazy because I get to eat bacon and you don't, how crazy is a diet where you eat locusts and honey? I mean, you're sitting there eating grasshoppers. People, that's the Bible locusts are a lot like our grasshoppers. Next summer, you'll get you some out. Before you put one on the hook for a bass, you just dip that thing in a little honey and taste that and see what you think. I dare you. Who goes out for that? You're sitting there going, no, I think, I'll, I, think I'll, I think I'll stick to cheeseburgers. Thank you very much. Well, throw it on there. Maybe it'll be like those little crispy onion ring things you put on your green beans. There's an idea. John the Baptist green bean casserole. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Who wants to have a potluck in my house next Tuesday? Let's go. This is, this is what they went out to. Why? Because aside from all that, what they heard in John, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom is coming. Don't you want to come too? All you've got to do is turn your heart back to God. All you've got to do is embrace the forgiveness He brings. Be baptized, in our case, into Jesus Christ Himself. Into His death, into His burial, and into His resurrection. And you will be ready for the kingdom. You will be ready for the coming. And you will begin to meet those challenges that He brings into your life. That's what you need to do today. He invites you to come. He invites you to join Him. He's already been in the water Himself, if you read chapters 3 and 4 of Matthew, to show us, hey, this water ain't too tricky. Even I'll do it. And now He waits for you to join Him. If today is your day, would you come as we stand and as we sing?